Well, over the last um, four weeks leading up to today, we have been talking about four of the healthy marks of a marks of a healthy church, and and we talked about how healthy churches. Our foundation is who? It's Jesus. That's our foundation as healthy churches. Healthy churches have effective prayer lives. We get in. In front of the Lord, we get in groups of prayer, we pray for each other, we pray in circles. Healthy churches also recognize that we have not arrived. We're in the process of growing spiritually. God's at work in us. And then last week we talked about how we face discipline, and we do it in a way that we do it well, and we let God use that in our lives to guide us to be more effective in the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to stay in the book of Hebrews, and you'll recall that Hebrews was written to... um, Followers of Jesus who had come out of a Jewish background, they um, were really struggling with some things in life. And Paul wrote these words to talk about the doctrinal issues of a healthy church as well as the doctrinal reality of a healthy Christian that we sort out in our lives. And as we come to this passage, I, I want to confess this morning to you that I have never in many years uh, ever um, preached on this text before. And it's probably because I'm i am not sure I'm ready to preach it yet, but I'm closer than I've ever been, if that makes sense. It's an issue that is a tough one, and I'm just going to tell you up front, you, you, you picked a good day to be here to watch me uh, wrestle with it, because that's really what it is. Uh, I'm not sure I, I'm adequate for this task, and maybe I've been afraid of the response if I shared it, but I, I think I need to do it. But in the context of discovering what a healthy church looks like, this issue is important. And so I felt like I couldn't run away from it. Maybe it's divine providence. God does work in in strange ways sometimes that we tackle this text as our staff is back at full strength for the first time in about two years, I guess it is. And, And that's encouraging. But I want you to understand the issue we're going to talk about this morning is way bigger than myself or the pastoral staff. We're talking about leaders in churches in general. And in our church, that means more than the three guys that serve as staff on our church uh, leadership. Uh, it also extends to those we identify as spiritual leaders among us, people who lead in our context within uh, committee work, who serve as leaders of committees, who serve as leaders of ministries in our church, who serve in other areas of service that you say, well, I didn't realize they were leaders. Well, they are. They just lead in a different way uh, than uh, maybe we think of. Now, the passage we're going to look at, it starts in verse 7, and then I think Paul wrote here. So Paul does something I have a tendency to do at times. He, he, he lets the squirrel chase him across the room for a second, and then he comes back in verse 17 and finishes his thoughts. So if you've ever had a conversation with me, and some of you have, you start a conversation, then we have another conversation, then we come back to this conversation. Now, we're going to ignore the conversation in the middle this morning because we're going to focus on the topic of leaders that happens to be split by this and aside in the text. And I want to read the text as we go through it just for the sake of time this morning. So there's five things that I think healthy churches do in relation to their leaders. And let me reiterate, the leadership I'm talking about is not merely the pastor. It does include him. I'm talking in third person here. Do a good Bob Dole. I guess, the pastor said, Um, or the staff that leads, but also those of you who are lay leaders who serve for a season, who serve for extended periods of time. He's talking about all these leaders. And the first thing I want you to grasp about this, look at the text first. Look at verse 7, the first part. He says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. I think the first thing I want you to see about 
leaders and valuing leaders is that we esteem their commitment. We lift it up. We, we, we value it. We, we, we think it's important. We see the importance of their service. And as we begin this, I think we come to a very sobering reality, and it's one that just kind of hits me on the, in between the eyes on a regular basis, that God calls imperfect people to, to leadership roles in the church. I know this will come as a shock to none of you, but I am not perfect. I'm just getting to know Chris. Where did he disappear to? There he is. He's not perfect. Aaron, that's another story. Okay, so he's sitting in the balcony today. I don't know what the deal with that one is, but he's, he's up there with the, with the rafter folks. But he's not perfect. And, and let me tell you what, if you serve on a leadership in a committee, you're not perfect. None of us have got that perfection. And, and so when we come to the idea of dealing with our leaders, we have a choice we have to make. We either can esteem their commitment and say, God, thank you for their leadership. Thank you for their role. Thank you for what they do. Or we can say, well, they wouldn't do it. They're not doing it the way I would do it. I don't like the way they're doing this. I wish they did this. I wish I did that. We can complain. The writer of Hebrews down comes pretty hard on the reader. He says, remember your leaders. Now, that's not saying set up a memorial somewhere to their name. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is having a, a value for those people who made an impact on your life, those who you respect in your life, that came into your life, that, that, have, that God has been used, is used in your life to, to bring you closer to the Lord. And, and, and you understand that they have flaws and failings. I've got to tell you a little story that kind of goes with this. Uh, when I was in college, uh, that was in the last century, but in, I was in college, um, I, I got to go to the Southern Baptist Convention meeting. Uh, and I was just went on church staff, but I got a chance. No, I was a part-time church staff member, and I got to go, uh, which was kind of fun, to go see how they do stuff uh, as a convention. And I, I got to travel with the pastor of the church that I grew with, grew up with, under Brother Jim Moore. And Brother Jim Moore, we, the joke was he always took an entourage with him to the convention. It was some of his buddies from other churches. They'd all get together and they'd kind of have old home week and go to the meetings and go to dinner and do all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we went. Uh, <laughs> The Southern Baptist Convention has only met there once, but it was in Las Vegas, oddly enough. Uh, weird, Southern Baptist in Las Vegas. But anyway, we haven't ever gone back, but we, we, we're out there. And, and, and they said, we're going to go out to dinner. And so he asked his wife, Shirley, to, to line up a, a reservation at this Mexican restaurant in town. So she lines up the reservation. So they call for a cab. And now i got to tell you, they pack all six of us plus the driver in a sedan. Because Brother Jim was tightwad, okay? And they gave him the address for the restaurant. And off we went. And we drove by the same restaurant on the way to the other restaurant. They had two locations. And I heard Brother Jim lay into his wife about picking the wrong location and doing it. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. Pastors don't make mistakes. Pastors don't get on their wives. Pastors don't have arguments. How can he do this? You know? But i got to tell you something. I learned something that the man who was a mentor of mine in ministry was completely flawed. And yet God was using him. And healthy churches understand that. So how do we dare treat these people who serve in leadership roles in our church? Again, paid, not paid, is not the important, as hired hands or servants when they hold the important role of spiritual development in our lives. 
Healthy churches understand that. They understand their flaw, but they also understand and esteem the commitment of the men and women who lead in those roles in the church. Number two, we do something else. We examine their example. Look at verse the last part of verse 7. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the writer instructs the readers to do something that, that our song had, one of the songs had is stop. Stop and think. Consider the lives of those people whom God has placed in our lives as leaders. I think that's healthy advice no matter what the context. They're, they're, they're called to consider the outcome of the of the, the, their lives, of where they're going, what they're doing. Put it another way, they were, they were to examine the example of their leaders within the context of flawed humanity. Not to say, well, now they're perfect. Oh, no, they're not perfect. But God's at work in them. Again, let me remind you, there's no perfect pastor, no perfect staff member, no perfect lay leader, just imperfect people called by a perfect God to serve in his greater kingdom's work. A big part of healthy churches is they look at those individuals and understand that God is at work in them and he's moving them from what they were to what he wants them to become and he's still got work to do in the future. He's not done. See, the kingdom of God is vastly different from the world's way of having kingdom. The world sees power and control as this. If you're in control and you have power, you're what? You're successful. You're a leader. You're powerful. God says, no, no, no. In the kingdom of God, servanthood and, and subjection are indicators of a successful leader. They submit to. And if you notice the passages where you read about kingdom leaders in the Bible, you know what you don't find in those lists? You don't, talk, you don't find that they have this gift as a primary gift. They don't have the gift of speaking or the gift of service or the gift of, 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 of giving or the gift of whatever. They have something else that's way more important. And it talks about, their, they, those passages talk about the leader's character. Not if they're characters, but that they have character. You all with me? That they have this idea that, are they perfect? No. Again, you will never find a perfect leader this side of glory. But we're called to look at the lives of those whom God has placed in our lives and let them Lead us forward. And we look at them and who they are. Listen, who they are, not what they do. Sometimes they make mistakes. But we imitate them as best we can. And the longer we walk with these leaders in our lives, we start thinking, acting, quoting. It always blows me away when I hear someone quote something that I said years ago. And you go, weird. I didn't think you were listening. And yet they heard it. And God spoke into their lives through that. You go, man, what an amazing thing. So we esteem their commitment. We examine their example. Then we embrace their leadership. Now we take our gap in the thinking and jump to verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, oh, y'all are going to love this passage. This is the passage that makes me like have heartburn. Okay, you ready? He says this, obey your leaders and submit to them because they're right all the time and they never make mistakes. Y'all reading with me? Okay, because they are what? Keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, after the parenthetical thought, the writer comes back to the issue of leaders and he tells us, I think this, embrace their leader. Let me say it one more time. Okay, it's probably the third or fourth time. There are no perfect pastors, staff members, lay leaders within a church. None. None. Y'all with me? None. But that does not exempt us from embracing their leadership in our lives. Let me tell you one more story that kind of goes with this. When I finished seminary, 
at New Orleans and was called to uh, the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Arkansas. That's just outside of Little Rock. I was called as the associate pastor of education and youth, and I discovered real quickly that the pastor wanted me to do education work and the church wanted me to do youth work. And thankfully, I was single and had all the time in the world to dork two full-time jobs, and it was good. But I also discovered something in that four and a half years of serving that the pastor of that church um, loved him to death. So when I say this, do not hear this as criticism of him as a person. But the man could not preach himself out of a paper bag. I would listen to him and go, what in the world are you talking about? He, he couldn't put together a coherent outline. He couldn't put together a coherent thought sometimes. He just was kind of over. But man, that man could administer. He could organize. He could write a personnel policy manual that would just make you excited and want to just shout for joy, okay? And I discovered in that process this, is he was our leader, as, as a church leader, he was our leader. And, and how I related to him would affect how I lived my life. And his, his leadership was important in my life because he taught me many things. Now, we're tempted in this, to read this context with a 21st century mindset that says, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I need you to hear me say this very, 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 very clearly. A pastor is not to run your life. A staff member is not to run your life. A committee leader is not to run your life. Y'all with me? That's not their job. So that's not what he's talking about. In fact, the word that's translated obey is an interesting little Greek word, pitho. It's actually a cognate or or related to the word that we translate into English as faith. And so when you think about it that way, you're going to have faith in your leaders. You come to them with an attitude that says, I'm going to believe that they're doing the very best that they can do with what God has given them at this point in life. And I'm going to, I'm going to trust them. I'm going to obey them. I'm going to listen to them. Are they perfect? We've already said it how many times now? No. But we're looking at them with the idea that says healthy churches say we're going to trust these men, these women. And then it says submit. How many like the word submit? Me either. Me either. Okay. But it's another Greek word called hupeeko that means to retire. Some of you have hupeekoed in life. You've retired. It means to withdraw. It means to submit. It's the idea that we say this, okay, God has placed that leader on our committee. That God has placed that leader in our ministry. God has placed that leader within our church or one of the leaders in our church. And unless they're doing something immoral, illegal, or just downright wrong, we may not agree with the direction of what they're thinking, but we say we're going to trust them to the point that we can't trust them. Instead of coming on and saying we can do better, you need to listen to what I'm saying because I showed up to tell you how to do it. The big idea is this. We defer to the leader of those whom God places in our lives for the sake of the kingdom. You remember the old saying, too many cooks in the kitchen spoils the broth. You know that song? That's what happens sometimes in churches. You see, without exception, every person I've encountered serving in church life as a leader, they don't do it because they want to run the show. I promise you. They do it because they believe they're listening to the voice of God. They believe they're hearing the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and they're trying to do their very best. We need to grasp that. Healthy churches understand that. Pastors aren't perfect. Staff members aren't perfect. The lay leaders in the ministries aren't perfect. But God is using them 
in his own way in the kingdom. See, there's coming a day, these leaders, myself included, we get it. There's coming a day when we're going to have to answer to the king of heaven for what's happened. It gives me heartburn sometimes. Keeps me awake at night sometimes. Because most of church leadership, this reality rests very heavy on our souls. And healthy churches have healthy followers of Jesus who understand the role that leaders play in their lives because it's part of their spiritual development. And we, we, we trust them and we lead them and we embrace them. And we say, okay, pastor, let's go do it. Okay, minister of music, let's go do it. Okay, student minister, let's go. Okay, committee member, you, you lead us. It's not a blind surrender to thought. It's a, we're going to trust him. We're going to trust her in that area. So we esteem commitment. Healthy churches examine the example. They embrace the leadership. Number four, number four, they encourage their service. Look at the last half of verse 17. Let them do this with joy. We're talking about leaders. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to them. Isn't that what you'd expect to read there? But that's not what it says. It's no advantage to who? To you. Grasp this. Another thing healthy churches do is they encourage the service of their leaders. Let me remind you for the fifth, sixth, twentieth time, there are no what? Perfect pastors. There are no perfect staff members. There's no perfect leaders in lay ministry in our churches. There's none. Zero. Y'all have got that at this point. If you haven't heard anything else, you've heard that today, I'm sure. Just individuals whom God is in the process of transforming from who they were to what they're going to be. And then the call here is not to ignore the leaders or to treat them as hired hands or even worse, treat them as the experts. And if they don't speak, we can't do anything. But to see them as this, partners in the great ministry that God has for us. I don't know of any person in vocational ministry, and I don't know too many in lay ministry who say, I'm here because it's so much fun and easy to do. They do it because they believe God's called them to it. And when we don't give the ability to have joy and no groaning in the process, we hurt ourselves as churches. There's got to be a place, friends, where we consciously decide we're going to work with the leaders God has placed with us. And you may say, well, I can't work with that leader. Well, that may mean you have to come to a place where you make a change in your life or you pray for God to make a change in their life. But God has to work through that process. Let me be blunt with you. There are some some sheep who believe that their primary spiritual gift is to torment their shepherds. I got to tell you, that's not in the Bible. We're here to partner and work together to see each other. To be blunt, over the years, there have been individuals within the churches I have served where just the mention of their name will raise my blood pressure. And please, please don't let me have a chance encounter in the hallway, especially right before the service. You're going, I hope that's not me. But get this, the writer of our text calls each of us to release our leaders to do their jobs with joy and without groaning. Because why? It is how we get blessed the best. 
It's a working together. And as we choose to encourage our leaders, both vocational ministers and lay leaders, don't misunderstand, I'm talking about all of us who lead in the ministry of the kingdom of God, we receive a great blessing because healthy churches go, we're going to encourage our leaders because when we're encouraging them, when they're doing their job with joy, when they're doing their joy without groaning, it blesses who? It blesses us. And you get to be a part of a church where everything's clicking along like that and everyone's happy and joyful and there's joy and there's encouragement and there's, there's trust. Wow. That's an amazing experience. And then one more thought, and this is kind of touching back to an earlier message so we won't spend a lot of time, but I want you to see it. He says, pray for us. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Uh, There's some theologians who say that's evidence that Paul didn't write this because he was never a pastor, but he was a minister in the kingdom of God. So I think we're okay. But I think the idea we have to see here is we have to do this. We have to entreat God for their success. Healthy churches do something interesting. They pray for their leaders regularly. You go, well, I ain't going to pray for her. I'm not going to pray for him. I'm not going to pray for that people. Uh-uh. When we pray for folks, let me tell you something. Something changes within us. God breaks down the hard heart in us when we say, okay, I'm going to pray. Have you ever had this prayer? God, I don't want to pray for him. I don't want to pray to me. Okay, God, God would you... Would you would you, would you bless them, please? You ever had that prayer? I have. I won't tell you who they were. But I want you to understand that that changed my heart when I prayed that prayer. My attitude changed. My mind changed. And instead of holding a grudge, here we find, we find love. Instead of remaining bitter, we find compassion. And the writer understood the immense power of prayer, not just to change circumstances, but to change our hearts. Let's be real honest here. Your pastor, your ministerial staff, your lay leaders who serve in various committees, and those who lead various ministers in our church are desperate for your prayer. One, to lift them up to God, but two, to help our attitudes be more positive. That's what healthy churches do. They pray for each other. Flawed individuals call to serve God in bigger ways than we can handle, but somehow God chooses to to use us. So what do we do with this real quickly? You're thinking, man, you went through a lot of material here. I did. I've got three more thoughts I need you to hear because this is, I think, where the, as the old preacher I grew up under, Brother Jim, would say, the rubber meets the road. Isn't that interesting? Forty years ago I heard that phrase and it stuck in my head. The rubber meets the road. The first thing I want you to see is this. God uses people. To lead us. Can God come down and speak to us audibly? Absolutely, He can, okay? But most of the time, He doesn't, does He? Most of the time, He will drive us to His Word. He will have somebody in our lives come alongside and speak something to us, and we go, How did you know that? I got a strange text this week in the middle of sermon preparation, and I thought He was the guy was sitting over the shoulder of, of my office reading what I was writing. I'm going, what in the world? The text said something to the effect of this. Well, God has placed you in my life to help me become more like, I'm like, wow. I said, okay, who's bugged my office? Who stuck a camera in the corner? Who's like 
screen imaging mirroring my computer as I'm writing. What in the world? We need to think we can, ha- we, you know, we think we can handle life on our own. We, we believe we don't need anybody else. Can I tell you something? That is the furthest thing from the truth. Every one of us needs the input and influence of others in our lives to be molded into the people that God wants us to become. You cannot do Christian faith alone. You need a small group Bible study leader. You need a large worship experience. You need a ministry to serve in. You need those places where you lead and where you serve. So we have to make ourselves available for the input of others in our lives. You see, I can go to a doctor. We go to doctors because it's so much fun and it's so cheap, right? Hello. We go to a doctor because we suspect... Something ain't right, correct? So we walk into the doctor and we say, here, doctor, here's the problem. i got a pain right here, and here's how you're going to fix it. Have you ever tried that with your doctor? How'd it go? It went real well, didn't it? Okay. But here's the point. We go to a doctor. Why? Because they are good in their field. They understand what they're doing, hopefully. And if they don't, you find another doctor, right? And, And you say... Here's my issue. And they go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have him run some tests. We're going to go have you go schedule this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And you go back and they give you the reports and they say, well, here's what's wrong. And you say, well, nice. Thank you, doctor. Here's what I'm going to do. In no, you listen to them and let them speak into your lives. Are doctors infallible? <laughs> no. But doctors, for the most part, have got our interest at their heart. They may not have a very, they may not have much of a personality. And they may not be able to speak very clearly sometimes, and you surely can't read their handwriting. But they do it, why? Because they love what they do and they care about people. Same thing in church. Church leaders are there not because they're perfect, but because God has placed them there. And God allows these people to intersect with our lives for a season to lead us away from foolishness and toward godliness. And at times, listen, it'll be because of their example. And at times, it'll be because of their example of how not to do it. God uses both sides. But God will use whom God will use. And God used Paul to tell us this in First Corinthians. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God will work in ways that we can never fully understand. And can I tell you something? Don't try. Just listen to his voice and let him speak into your life. So God uses people. Number two, we have to choose to be a team player. Some of you would think that I was a football player in high school. I hated football in high school. I went out for peewee. Football as a third grader, you know, the skill set for a third grade in football is pretty low, okay? It doesn't take much. And they, I was kind of a stocky kid. Yeah, no, again, no surprise. And they put me on the line. Again, no surprise. And the coach, which was some daddy's, some, the running back's daddy, because it's always the quarterback or the running back, his daddy is the coach, because this is how he got the position, because his daddy was the coach, right? Anyway, he says to the line, line up! We'd get into the three-point stance, and then he'd say, hit hands! Line up! Hit it! I'm going, is that all football is? That hurts. I don't like that. I wasn't a good team player for football, I can tell you that. 
I liked basketball, though. I know that shocks all of you that I was a basketball player at some point. But I loved basketball, playing basketball, playing the center, being the body in the middle to block out people from getting in. You know what I mean? But I had to be a team player. Have you ever tried to play basketball one-on-five? You know how well it goes? Not so good. When I look across the local body of believers called the church, I am amazed at the diversity of people that God brings together. Some of you are short. Some of you are tall. Some of you are young. Some of you, well, not so much. Some are thin. Some are thicker. But this diversity goes beyond skin deep, my friends. And it includes various interests, various skills, various abilities, various abilities, various spiritual gifts even within a body of Christ. And just like every team needs players with different skills, so does a local body of believers need different team players to be the church that God wants us to be. We have a vast diversity of skills and talents across our fellowship. And you know what? That's a good thing. Where one has a lack, someone else can step up to serve. I'm reminded of what Paul said to the Corinthians again in chapter 12. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member of part, single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God brings us together. There is a diversity in God's plan. And God, I think healthy churches treasure that diversity that God gives us. And they go, okay, they've got that skill. Praise God. I'm going to encourage them. I've got this skill. Y'all encourage me. She's got that skill. I want to encourage her. And we work together doing the things that God calls us to do. That means some of us follow, some of us lead, but all of us have valuable roles to play in the kingdom of God because every one of us is choosing to be a team player. That means we show up for practice. You'll get in the, the reference there. We show up. Why? You never know what God will use your life for that day. You may have a conversation with somebody that nobody else could have done. You may contribute to your Bible study group in a way that nobody else would have done. You could do something and meet somebody in a setting that nobody else could have done. But if you're not here, if you didn't show up for practice... won't be as effective. We're called to be on the greatest team of all, the team called the family of God. Wow. Why would we give anything best than our very, why would we do anything less than our very best? And finally, I think we have to decide to pray regularly. This is kind of touching back to an earlier sermon, but I think we need to see it again. We need to commit regularly for our leaders you know, on my, my prayer list during a week, I'll pray for uh, committee leaders. Our church is very uh, saturated with committees, and we have different lay people that serve in those committees. And I, I pray for those people. Why? Can I tell you what? That's a tough job sometimes, isn't it? They'll get a call at 9 o'clock at night. I can't believe y'all are recommending. Any of you been on that committee? Yeah, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've read statistics. I know I like numbers, uh, to at least the statistics. The church dropout rate for leaders, vocational and lay leaders. Listen, folks, don't shut your Bibles and turn me off yet. The numbers are disturbing. In a recent survey, some 38% of vocational church leaders were thinking of quitting the ministry. That's four out of every ten. 
Maybe they're quitting because they should never have been in the ministry in the first place. I don't think that's the general rule there, but it happens. I suspect most of those considering quitting are tired of dealing with the people called the church. Many of my peers believe this. They believe the ministry is harming their families. They're tired of feeling guilty for any, taking off any time to renew and refresh. They believe the work of church is nothing like they ever expected it would be and surely nothing that a seminary professor ever talked about. They think, I don't think I'm trained for this. But i got to tell you something. The trend is going beyond just vocational paid ministers. It's going to lay people as well. If you've ever served on our committee on committees, yes, we've got one of those. We love committees. And try to enlist people to serve on committees, that's a tough job. You know why? People like to shoot at leaders, including lay people. Many lay people are saying, I'm not serving on that. I'm not doing that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be there. Uh, uh, no, you can't make no. Oh, no way. You better not put my name on that list. For those of you who are serving this year on committees, I want to tell you thank you. I appreciate your service. appreciate your commitment, your time. You're not getting paid financially, but you're getting paid spiritually. Thank you for that. But you know what? A lot of people who have gone through those situations have said, I'm done. They hit the door after a church service on Sunday and say, that's it. I'm gone. Healthy churches value leaders. We pray for our leaders. We pray and lift them up. We encourage them. We speak good into their lives. In fact, Paul told the church at Colossae this. He said, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We need to intentionally pray for those in leadership roles. And lift them up to the Lord. Why? Because God's the one that can change, not their hearts, but our hearts. So where do you start with all this? First step, my friends, is this. You've got to know Jesus. If you've never come to the place where you've trusted him, that's the first step. How do you do that? Let me just give you quickly. I know I'm over time. I don't do it very often, so bear with me a minute. If you're here today and you go, I don't, I don't know how to trust God, here's what you do. You ready? You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. You're talking to God. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I make mistakes. I know I've made mistakes. I need to be. God, would you forgive me of my sin? And God, would you come into my life and be my Lord and Master? If that's it. Yeah. That prayer, my friends, prayed earnestly. And to the Lord will change your life. What do I do next? Get that one first. I mean, sometimes we want to have the ten lists first. Just get with the first thing first, guys. Trust Christ. For some of you this morning, you've done that. And your step isn't you need to trust Christ. You need to come to the place where you say, I'm going to commit to a church. Let me tell you what, you will never find a church more flawed and messed up than right here. What? You're supposed to say how wonderful we are and how great we are. Oh, we are wonderfully weird and completely, totally, wonderfully blessed and messed up. Y'all with me? Why? Because we're human. God's still at work in us. Aren't you glad? If God wasn't working in us, I'd be really scared. You say, well, you want me to commit my life to something that's all... Let me tell you what, the church down the street just is bad. I know some of the pastors in town. They're worse than I am, Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. 
We've got to come to the place where we say, God, we want to be a part of what's greater in, our, in your, your kingdom. And we want to lift up our leaders and we want to pray for them. We want to value them. We want to hold them accountable. And we want to love them. Church, healthy churches, that's what they do. Some of you need to trust Christ. Some of you need to commit to this church. Some of you just need to say, God, show me what I need, and he'll do it. Father God, we come to you right now asking your hand in these few moments where we respond. Father, some seem to come forward and and make a public decision for you. Father, many don't. They've done that, but they need to make a commitment right where they are to say, God, I'm going to pray for my leaders at church. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to value them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to speak good into their life because it's a blessing to me when I do that. Father, I pray for those who need to make some type of decision. We pray that your spirit would guide them in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray.